to another episode of On the Issues with Alain Ben-Mir. Today's guest is Helen Lee Boyga, a world-renowned misinformation and critical thinking expert and president of the Reboot Foundation, which is devoted to elevating critical thinking. In this episode, Alan and Helen discuss the rise in misinformation and the role of social media in that regard, media literacy and the importance of teaching it in schools, and how to encourage the general public to be better consumers of information. I really want to thank you for taking the time. Pleasure. Um, this is this is a subject in you know, a misinformation. It's been troubling a lot of people, and especially a person like you have this particular organization that actually battle misinformation um, for for years now. Just tell me a little bit about your organization and what are the specific some of the steps that you are taking nowadays. And now I'm going to have a simple conversation rather than questions and answers. Of course. Yeah. So tell me a little bit about the organization and what what you're doing on a day-to-day basis. So um, the Reboot Foundation, we started in 2018. Um, and the origin of the foundation was actually to fund research around how do you better teach critical thinking um, in schools, in homes, and actually in the community. Um, and this demand and the need to fund research around it really was Uh, founded from looking at in a digital world where we gather over 90% information online versus offline and over 90% of news from social media platforms rather than other sites. Um, You know, what, what are we doing differently about the education of children in this type of environment? And that's really why we founded the Reboot Foundation to fund research, to make sure that we found better uh, thinking um, and and really um, research around not only uh, cognitive science and neuroscience, but also how do you actually make critical thinking more accessible to both teachers and parents so it's not something theoretical or consultancy, but something very practical that we can actually apply in our daily lives and teach our children better. Now, there is a link with misinformation because obviously as we were funding research around critical thinking, um, don't forget we founded the organization in 2018, um, there was more and more challenges linked to misinformation and fake news uh, with the Trump administration So, you know, it it was really propagating itself. And that's when we decided that we would also fund research around how do you fight against misinformation? Keeping in mind that the two are very linked from the foundation's point of view. Misinformation is, is a bit of a symptom of the challenges that people are not equipped to be good critical thinkers and there is a lack of media literacy training. So it's really a combination of media literacy training and critical thinking education that on a fundamental basis, we believe are the long-term measures to fight against misinformation. But we'll go into a little bit more about the details of how do you fight against misinformation. But to answer your question about our organization. So today 
the Reboot Foundation probably funds research and helping develop to make it available for parents and teachers on critical thinking, probably about a two third of our research and one third around the fight against fake news and misinformation. Yeah, so, so you know that was from against the misinformation, obviously, the more so than nowadays than say 10 or 20 years ago. Uh, albeit there was some social media of course in existence going back 15, 20 years nevertheless, is the polit certain political environment that's been created. Now, to what extent you could attribute the rise of Trump? I mean, I want to begin with that. In 2018, when Trump was in power, and he was probably one, the, the first president, I'm, I'm certain, was being engaged in systematic, in systematic, mis providing misinformation and lies, uh, and made that his, uh, that basically his was the strategy that he has, that he adopted uh, in order to promote his political objectives. Do you see and do you see uh, Trump as a catalyst to some extent? Or do you, of course, we know there was misinformation all along throughout the media, social media, there's nothing in you. To what extent he sort of uh, refocus re on it from your perspective? Yeah, so, uh, you know, clearly I don't think that there is one major factor that drives the propagation of misinformation. But I do think that Trump did play a role indirectly in the fall. Um, as you alluded to, Alan, um, it is the Reboot Foundation's view that social media is a major problem in this propagation of misinformation. But the challenge with Trump is the following. Today, the social media engine actually somewhat legitimizes misinformation that then gets picked up by mainstream media. And then um, that has a bit of a vicious reference, circular reference, including, you know, public figures like Trump that gives credence to the misinformation. So you have this vicious circular reference. And then the other problem that that creates with public figures like Trump really, um, you know, being part of the misinformation age is that ultimately there is a big group of the population that stops believing or having credence even on researched investigative reporting and somewhat mainstream media. So what you've created is this giant bubble where nobody can really differentiate an opinion from fact, from investigative journalism to blog. And so that's where it's actually really hard for a general consumer to detect misinformation for that reason. But where I really fault Trump is the circular reference of a public figure that ultimately does really help denigrate what the mainstream media is doing and hence, you know, actually adds to uh, more confusion about um, distinguishing where misinformation is coming from, et cetera. So I think I, I put Trump in that type of context. Yeah, so, so basically, you know, I need this to say that is if the source, for example, in this particular case, the president is a president of the United States, the assumption is the president of the United States will not be lying systematically. 
And so basically his words are taken for granted by many, especially those who like him or follow him. So, so, so And you're absolutely right, Alan, because as we know, when we talk about biases and the link between people's biases and misinformation, there is something called shared information bias when we think about critical thinking. And it's really um, the fact that we naturally have bigger biases and we give more credence to information that members of our community, members of our family, um, accepted groups like church leaders, we give more credence to that because of this shared information bias. And hence that also helps perpetuate more of these echo chambers because we do have a natural tendency as a bias to give more credence to certain types of authorities that are in our community. Yeah, so so and absolutely right. So that's that's it. That is a factor. That is, the, when the source is powerful, well known, recognized, is taken more 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 so for granted than more shallow sources. That's that's one aspect. But the misinformation now has obviously benefits, uh, political benefits, financial benefits, and let me begin with this. That is. As long as a certain, let's call it a product, obviously misinformation is not a product. Uh, it's, a, it's, a, it's a reality, it's there. And so people look at it, not just to convey false information, but also because they have vested interest in conveying this false information. Absolutely. And sometimes it's a political interest. In the case of politicians, of course, they spread false information in order for, for them to gain more support, like we mentioned Trump. But the, let's look at the, uh, the social media itself. The social media itself, be they think whether it's Google, whether it's Facebook, whether it's Twitter, whether it's Instagram and all of that. They have, there's all financial concern there. There's a financial- And we're talking uh, very, very big dollars, Alex, I'm right? talking so, about billions. Yes, we're and let's talk about, about let's talk about that. This is very important, that is, when there is a profit here, the question is becomes how how do we balance? That is, what is the balance when in fact when you engage in systematic misinformation, you are making more money <laughs> almost directly translate to that. How do you deal with that? From so, so, when we are yeah. experienced, what do you say? So, so let, let's kind of put the facts straight. Um, they don't necessarily make m- more money because of misinformation. Where they make money, very simply, is the longer people stay on their social media platforms. So what they need is hours of our eyeballs on their platforms. If, if, I, may, why- if, yeah, if I may, just when I say making more money through misinformation, basically what I'm suggesting is that if they wanted to verify more, if they wanted to control the flow of, of information, they would be limiting process. Don't you think that would be limiting their outreach if they were to control it better more? Well, let me, let me, let me, let me take it from a slightly different angle and then we'll okay. try to probe more yeah. your question. I mean, the, the economic model of the social media companies is very simply number of subscribers, how much time they spend on their platform. That's yes. how their valuation is determined. Exactly. Yes. Now, um, that's why their algorithm is deliberately set up to prey on people's emotions. Because when we are emotional, 
and we do are capable of doing less critical thinking, we stay on longer on their website as well. So hence, um, their algorithm is, and, and how do people get emotional? Is It's explosive words, it's things that are contentious, it's things that are, um, you know, uh, flashy. Um, we talk about clickbait for tweet. You know, it's, it's, it's things that are inflammatory deliberately because when people are emotional, they become more engaged and spend longer time. So their entire economic model is to prey on in people's emotions. Now. Uh, um, perhaps an interest as well. And we can talk about other economic models yeah, because yeah. obviously they also have revenue sources from uh, advertised information, et cetera, from public interest groups, et cetera. So the combination of people's deliberately the economic model preying on people's emotion combined with another economic model where there is paid content that is not today verified for whether or not um, there is misinformation or not. Both revenue sources are important for social media platforms. Now, um, when I, I'm gonna start talking about a little bit what policymaking could try to do to counterbalance this. Um, as you know, um, section uh, 230 was something that has been brought up both by Trump and Biden but because of lobbying dollars has still not passed. And the whole principle of that is, let's say uh, CNN and NBC or even Wall Street Journal, when they actually publish false information as media companies, people can attack and they can be sued and be liable for the misinformation because they distribute the content. Social media platforms have historically argued that they are only a channel and they don't actually produce the content and hence mm -hmm. they cannot be liable. And then their argument has been, it's, it's the actual pipe so we can't be liable. And also because so much information passes by our pipes that we can't possibly control the information. However, since then, there's been a narrower segment in policy called the Safe Tech Act that again has not passed because of lobbying power, which mm -hmm. is okay. For those content that you generate revenue, I advertised content that you should be liable for since you actually can monitor your revenue source directly, something that you alluded to earlier, Alan. And why should not they be liable? for the content that they actually generate revenue from because they publish this content that's paid for by public interest groups, political groups and whatnot. So that is one measure that I think has even come up in actual general politics, but because of lobbying has not passed. But at minimum, I do think that the Safe Tech Act should, Act should be something to try to prevent some of this propagation uh, via social media. Then the second element on social media is knowing everything that we know and everything that we talked about, Alan. Um, I mean, clearly more awareness from the public needs to exist so people become better consumers of information. But let's be honest, now social media like TikTok is actually really touching younger generation as well, including middle school. 
which means that there are two things that we need to focus on. One is obviously better education so that consumers become better, um, better consumers of information. But secondly, why not, knowing everything we know, treat it like we have historically treated alcohol or tobacco, i.e. Um, actually putting alerts and potentially certain restrictions, um, knowing the damage it does, not just in terms of misinformation, but also studies have shown recently that it's creating uh, major problems in mental health, especially for children of younger age, teenage girls in particular, uh, be it loneliness, depression. There are studies that have shown that there's impact of that as well, in addition to misinformation. So treating it like a health hazard is another area that we really need to focus on and investigate further. Uh, for the public consummation. Yeah, absolutely right. But the question here, when you want to, let's say, treating it like a health issue, well, if, if it's a health issue, there is a hospital, there are doctors there are that um, that actually attend to this guy, and they and that's their job, and they do so, and they make their own earning as from as from that from the work they do. That is, they do not have vested interest in making sure that people get sick. Uh, so that they come to them for help. That is, when you, when I mentioned initially the, the, the social media, and you say, well, they can exempt themselves and say, well, we are only conveyors of information. We really have no control over it. But the truth is, the reality is, is when they are aware, when they are aware that there is misinformation and they do nothing about it, when there is a profit involved, they become complicit. That is, it is one thing to say, I am not an only conveyor. But if you are a conveyor of, of misinformation and you are fully aware of it, you become a complicit, specifically when it comes to also earning dollars from that. Which means I, I would hold the social media responsible because do they have actually the means by which to monitor false information or they don't have the means by which to monitor that? Well, the hypocrisy is in certain situations when they feel that the public sort of um, media um, pressure is coming on them, then all of a sudden they do actually restrict certain content, right? So um, that's the hypocrisy. While they state that they don't have the means um, on specific topics, for example, recently on COVID and things like that, when they were feeling the public heat, then they started um, monitoring more and actually even, um, uh, banning certain people from um, their social media sites, right? So um, the whole argument that they don't have the means to measure, it's a bit of a hypocrisy because at the same month, they have demonstrated that they have taken action on certain things when public sentiment tends to go against them. When, when they choose to do this, obviously they, they, they do that. Now, uh, I, I'd like you to identify, you know, what are the, the elements the, that actually support the, the dissemination of misinformation and make it stick? That is, what it is, what does it take? You know, people are engaged in misinformation. These platforms are, have laws of misinformation that go through the system. Now, how do we combat that? As is, yes, there are efforts now to put pressure on social media 
to do something about it. You're saying, for example, we have to educate the children. That is, we have to treat it as if it were a sickness, and we have to treat that. How do you go about something like this over which we have pretty much limited control? And what, can you impact, enact laws? Can you, what, what is it from your perspective? How do you combat from your work? What have you done so far to begin a, this kind of combating the spread of this sort of misinformation? Yeah, so Alan, I have very good news for you. Our studies have shown that when people are aware, and even if they take, read an article, watch a video to better identify misinformation, and when I say tricks or you know uh, means to identify better uh, misinformation, I include things like uh, checking to see who the author is, where is the funding coming from relative to, uh, to the article, Simple things like not just clicking the first article that appears when you do a search, but actually if you're doing a Google search, going to the second or third page, check, looking for multiple sources. You know, the classic uh, tools that people have in media literacy, those all actually help us to better identify misinformation. Looking at opposing views, reading opposing views, but really basic things, um, not just fact-checking, but looking at the source, um, you know, Elements like that, studies that we've done, including that the Reboot Foundation have shown that when people watch a video or read an article about how to better identify misinformation, there is a change from before and after. So the good news is education and awareness actually helps us better, better identify misinformation. Yeah, um, sorry, go ahead. So, 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 so but, but the problem that we have today is in our surveys, we have demonstrated that less than a third of middle school today teaches media literacy in school. So, you know, there and, and there are clearly countries even in Europe like Finland and Sweden who have taken misinformation as a true uh, information danger. And that's why they have really instituted both critical thinking as well as media literacy education in schools, because their view is to combat fake news, it has to come from education. And so this is something that I think is um, maybe a little bit more long-term, but we've demonstrated that it works and it's something that we need to continue to focus on um, to help, uh, because as, as we talked about it earlier in this conversation, misinformation is not going away, we just need to be better equipped to fight against it. Yeah, and I'm, I fully agree with you when it comes to education. It's necessary, however long that might take, and I fully understand that this, this can, it does take years and years and years, because basically you need to create a new mentality, a new approach, uh, a new generation who understand that there are issues with social media and they have to be more careful in terms of what information they engender from it, to what extent they believe it, and they, and they use it. But there's a problem, I think the bigger problem that I see is that the, um, <clears throat> what, what we have is the uh, people on the whole, I think the majority, are not sophisticated. Nowadays, I'm a researcher, I want to research, so I'm going to do exactly what you said. I'm not just going to read the first article. I always say, give me major source, and a major source, credible source, that's the source I want to use. Otherwise, I'm not just going to look at any article and say, well, here, here it is. Which means the majority of the people, from my experience, 
are not uh, sophisticated enough or willing enough to take the time. Uh, well, a researcher would do so. As a writer, I, I have to do so. But people, how many, how many actually are engaged in this kind of profession? The vast majority, I would say lazy, in many ways are lazy. They're not necessarily interested in going digging for deeper and deeper and deeper. Take so much time because they want to really get to the truth. What they're doing is they read the piece and they, if they agree with it, and that's the problem we face here. Once they agree with it, false or otherwise, they adopt it. And that's we see many, many, for example, I talk to members of the family and say, where do you get this information? And she said to me, oh, wait, are you kidding? I watch Foxy News 24 seven. How do you deal with these kind of people who actually, this is what they do. This is, they want to hear a news or read social media and uh, material they actually want agree with. Once they agree with it, then it is no longer relevant to them, whether it's true or false. What do you do? How do you combat that? So, so I, guess, I guess I'm a little bit more optimistic and that's probably why the foundation continues to push this. You know, in all, we do a survey on critical thinking and the importance of critical thinking every year. And every year over 95% of people that we survey across all income ages, um, political parties, um, they value and they believe that critical thinking is important. But then when we actually ask the questions, how often do you uh, review opposing views and whatnot, then the numbers start getting smaller because to your point, I'm not sure it's lazy. I think it's just that people aren't necessarily equipped. So it's it's a question of, but, but ultimately, when we survey people, people do want to be better consumers of information. It's just that we're, we live in a bit of a white sugar age where it's all about instant gratification. We want to search something. We want that answer immediately. And you're right to look at, you know, three, four articles on a topic that takes a little bit more time and whatnot. So, so it's, 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 it's a bit harder, but ultimately people want to be better consumers of information. They just need the tools to do it. And you're right. I mean, it is human nature and this, Studies have shown, even psychologically, people prefer selective thinking because emotionally and psychologically, it's much more reassuring to read articles that validate their viewpoint rather than contradicting their convictions. So, so I think it, it, that's why I insist that ultimately, based on our surveys and experience, where I'm a little bit more optimistic than you, people genuinely do want to be better consumers of information. They just need the tools and the how, which is why the Foundation Reboot, why, why we continue to try to provide practical tips and things that are accessible. I think the challenge of critical thinking thus far, linked to fake news um, and the education of it, is that it's been a bit too theoretical and too academic. So people understand the importance, but then when they say, well, what does that mean? And I'll give you an example, Alan. I have nothing against um, books for dummies, but if you actually buy critical thinking for dummies and read it, after 10 minutes, you're gonna fall asleep. I did. So I think there is a challenge of, you know, trying to make it more accessible so that people become more aware of how to become better thinkers, as well as become better uh, consumers of information that is not too academic or too esoteric, but something that they can do uh, day to day. And that's where folks like you 
and the mainstream media can help people you know, with quick tips and ways that they can better identify themselves. And I think that's where I'm probably perhaps a little bit optimistic, but, but I, it's really based on our surveys and our experience. No, but I, I, no, I agree with you. I agree with you. That is, people who are aware and would like to get to the truth, they will be more open to listen. But let me, let me, let me give you. you know, we we talk about uh, such people. I live in 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 the, in, the, in the New York City, but I also have a house in the country. And these people in the country, um, you know, they work, they go home, they have their beer, they watch television their choice and there is nothing on on this planet and the majority remember this more nearly a hundred million people supported trump a hundred million the vast majority live in rural areas they do have access to information if they want to verify they want they they, they it's there but they are not interested that is how do you now, you're, you're, what you are suggesting, education, critical thinking, is absolutely necessary and it has to be, must be pursued. But you are reaching a very small minority, no matter how much effort you're making. Which means what I'm saying is, whereas it is a critically important what you're doing, we're going to have to find a vehicle, much larger vehicle, huge vehicle that's going to have mass appeal, mass appeal. And that's where, again, the social media comes to play. The only a vehicle that can provide that kind of mass appeal is the social media itself, when, when in fact now the social media is the culprit. So how do you how do you deal with this? You know, what you're doing is necessary, critical, should be continued, should be supported, but is, is it reaching enough people to really make the difference when in fact you're going to need far greater machinery in order to deal with this horrifying, uh, growing uh, misinformation industry, I call it. Yeah, but I mean, but um, Alan, um, we're talking about two different things. One is um, the rural places that they're they're watching TV, and so it's a little bit of a different medium. But we can put that to the side. I think the other area that you know we really recommend people is um, to do digital detox, right? Because it is true, and and our studies have shown that the number of hours of being on social media actually has a direct correlation to susceptibility to fake news as well. So while your approach is, how do we change social media so that they avoid misinformation? I would go a little bit the other way. And some of the advice that I give people too is, if you actually like a journalist from ABC News, go on the ABC website and read an article by the journalist. Why do you have to channel yourself via the social media platforms. So, you know, it's it's little um, fixes like that, but it's true that um, our studies have clearly shown that there's a direct correlation of number of hours you spend on social media and the susceptibility to fake news. And so to try to do digital detox, you know, that's something easy that you can communicate to your aunt, your uncle in a different town and explain the logic of why it's important actually do digital detox a little bit like we explained. It's important to try to avoid white sugar from time to time in your diet. No, no, I, look, I, I'm in full agreement with you. My, 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 main, my concern is that the, the magnitude, that is what you're doing, what you're saying, like I said earlier, it's absolutely critical, necessary. And, and um, uh, how do you minimize, for example, the number of hours people spend on social media? 
or how do you make sure that they're actually reaching to the truth by doing a little bit more investigation? And, and, and in an extreme, in an extreme, and this goes back to treating it like alcohol, um, you know, why not potential actual restrictions for certain children under a certain age of having access to social media? I mean, that, that would be another approach, going back to your line of logic, Alan, um, kind of like it, it, treating it like alcohol, because it is as much of a health hazard as we know, especially in terms of mental hazard. So who's going to administer that? That's the question here. Who is going to, in fact, parents, obviously parents can play a role when it comes to children and their engagement in social media. So you can appeal to parents. Uh, it, needs, I, it needs to be policymaking. Yes, okay, that's my point here. That is, you're going to need something much, a much larger umbrella. How we are going to be able to do that when even policymakers, like what happened in the Trump era, what's happening today in the Ukraine with, the, with, with, with Putin? They are the policymaker and they are the ones who are the, the chief perpetrators of misinformation. And the people are buying it. Who is going to actually monitor that? and correct what they're actually saying and doing. And to this day, those who follow Trump continue to follow him no matter what, what people are saying. And look what is happening in, in, in Russia today because of this massive consistent repetition of misinformation. Uh, statistics show now, you know, polls that's been taken in Russia, major, vast majority of Russia now support Putin, which is, which is absurd. Uh, and that is precisely because of the a plethora of misinformation that he's been able to do and my uncontrolled. So here, my, point, I, I guess, my question I think, to you. I think, need, I think we need to distinguish between propaganda and misinformation. And I agree, and but let me just finish my point though. Uh, yes, of course, propaganda. I'm, my question to you, what, what are the mechanisms? Because we, you and I agree there is misinformation. We, we, need a, we agree that we need critical thinking. I agree with you on everything actually you said. My problem, my concern is how do you go about, I'd like to investigate methods, means by which other than for schools matter, education matter, teaching critical thinking matter. But that is still limited in my view, given the scope of the misinformation that is taking place. So that, how, do we, yeah. how do we create this a much larger umbrella? Is it possible? Yeah, so I guess, I, I guess where our vantage points are a little bit different is I do think that even though it's a longer term, it is a more appropriate solution by education because just by policy making and trying to limit, you know, that, that also has its limitations, which is why I cited to you Finland, uh, Sweden, some of the Nordic countries, because, you know, by trying to be restrictive and putting limits and restrictions, that's one approach. But it's a little bit like Trump, when he was kicked off certain uh, social media platforms, he creates his own social media platform, right? So you can always find a way. But ultimately, ultimately, um, that's why we, we can't approach this with the shortcut. It's a long-term problem. And I think we need to approach it with a long-term approach, which ultimate, ultimately, it is about better education. And the problem that we have today is it's relatively new. There have been a lot of research around the challenges about media from a television standpoint, because there's been research since the 50s, 60s that have been well-documented. 
This digital online is relatively new and even research is relatively new. So that's why it's a little bit of, and, it, and it's, it's going much faster at the same time. So this is where it's a, little, it's a little bit more of a paradigm, but ultimately I do think that in the long run, it may not be a short fix as you rightfully pointed out, Alan, we do need to focus on education um, in order to fight this battle. And it needs to be from bottom up, both from parents and from schools um, and also educating adults as well, because we're just as susceptible to fake news as much as our children are. And it, it starts from awareness. Secondly, it's educating ourselves, the tools and the tactics of how we can fight against it ourselves. We talked about digital detox. We talked about you know, looking for sources. And ultimately, it's really becoming better consumers of information that ultimately, I think, in the long run, um, needs to prevail. Yeah, I mean, you know, you talk in the long run, as I see it, you're talking about generation. Uh, it's not going to happen in a year or two or three, which nevertheless is necessary regardless how long it takes. That is, education matters a great deal in, in one in combating social media. But in my view, that is not going to be enough no matter how much we invest in investigation, in education. It's a critical, it's necessary, but we're going to need the other tools. That's what I'm trying to ask you to see what other tools you think are absolutely, for example, we are, are we dismissing the responsibility of the social media or those who are, are we dismissing their responsibility? No, their no, work? no. And that's why I don't, I don't want you to misconstrue me. You know, we started this conversation talking about Section 230 and Safe Pack Act. I think we need to keep pushing those. That's what um, I'm saying, yes. And it's not, it's not about a political party, because by the way, for the record, both Trump and Biden wanted to both talk about Section 230, right? So um, this is not a partisan subject. I think it is about holding liable those who are actually those that propagate and have a financial interest to propagate more misinformation. So, and that goes back to um, Section 230 and more Safe Tech Act. And you know, to, to your point, which is why the Reboot Foundation, if you kind of look at the research that we do, we do, while we are not at all a political organization, we do endorse uh, those types of policies that I think is part of the solution as well. Yeah, but, but who, is, who is going to do this monitoring? Who is going to enforce that? You know, I, I agree, I mean, we need to do that. But which body, if the government does, cannot, does not get involved, there's a problem also with the free speech. You know, you can say whatever you want unless you are directly hurting someone. That I'm free to say whatever I want to say. So the government's role is probably is limited in terms of controlling the flow of misinformation. And those who are involved, the, the companies that are involved in it, they have a vested interest in me. You know, they have, what, they what, have what, to respond what? to their stockholders. Their stockholders no, Alan, saying, Alan, we need Alan. to make money. Alan, Safe Tech Act is not about restriction. Safe Tech Act is about making it possible for liability, right? So once um, a Facebook or a Twitter is attacked for millions of litigations, that's when behavior changes because it goes back to your original basis in terms of financial means. You know, that, again, there is a bit of an inequality or at least a disequilibrium 
between traditional media companies who, as you know, and they are regularly, uh, are sued for liability for misinformation. Um, social media platforms are not. So this is more putting it on equal ground. It's not, Safe Tech Act is not about government restricting or monitoring or policing misinformation. That's not what it's about. It's about having the possibility that if, if there is misinformation, that these platforms can be liable and can be sued financially. Well, they can be sued. Uh, and there's some many lawsuits have taken place against uh, um, but but the scope, the scope is so limited. That is, when you say about thousands of lawsuits, there's face thousands and thousands of lawsuits, then they may change their behavior. But how are we how are we going to but make today, but, to, but today there's no grounds for these lawsuits to begin with, Alan. But there should be. I mean, we know they are engaged. So we're, so we're agreeing that we're agreeing about Section two hundred and thirty and safety. Yeah. Yes. But they are, so so we know it's there. It's not but, there. But, they, they, these no, are these 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 policies the, have not been put in place. No, the policy is not. But I know that we know that this information is there. But we also know that there isn't a you know consistent, comprehensive effort by various bodies. What bodies? My question to you is this. You identify education, and I fully agree with you. Is there any other element other than suing? Is there any other body, another uh, entity that can, in fact, also get involved in this directly on a systematic, regular way and try to monitor this kind of misinformation other than the education you are mentioning? I'm agreeing with you. It's not that I'm disagreeing with you. I just don't feel, I just don't feel that given our current situation and given the, the advantages, the huge advantages in fair of so many different ways by uh, the people in gender from misinformation, there's a, it's got to be a massive effort to combat it. And so I'm looking for other ways by which to combat it. Uh, you know, we're mentioning lawsuits, even that is limited. That is, if these companies do not, do not regulate themselves and do so on a more systematic way, and perhaps even lose money because of that. I don't see how that's going to change in, in, a, in a very significant way. How do we going to contain misinformation? Yeah, I mean, I think, I think without the policy being put in place, it's hard for us to guess whether or not it has an impact. But I think in general, um, because again, these are financially motivated entities, uh, once there are big liabilities, provisions, big costs potentially, that that will have an impact. And again, today, there is no policy in place to potentially even test that. But I think fundamentally, based on other economic experiences, um, it does become a potential obstacle uh, once these companies can be liable. And I think, so that's why I think uh, a combination of policymaking and education is necessary. You're right, I agree with you. I don't see, realistically, any motivation where the social media platforms will self-police themselves, that I don't see. Yeah, yeah, uh, public, I mean, public, but... public opinion might be able, might, might help a little bit, and we've seen that in some PR situations, but you're right, I, I don't necessarily, the, maybe the one area that I'm pessimistic about is social media platforms doing self-police. I agree with you, but I think, however, as I see it still, effort ought to be made in that direction. I mean, it goes just back to your own work. 
in terms of, from the since 2018 now you've been engaged in this four years uh can you point out and i'm not being cynical actually i want to point out the, the extent of the success you have uh, experienced which i'd love i'd love to hear to see uh, some success do you have you been able to discern from the, the work you've done a success story because we want to spread that uh, how, how do you uh, from your work because that's how i would like to I think it's, I, I'd, I'd love to talk about two things. One, um, the amount of awareness. Uh, and again, it's a little bit like I said, um, the level of awareness and means to fight against um, misinformation. Um, I, I think that that is something that we can measure in terms of success. Um, 2018, when we talked about misinformation, that didn't really interest people actually. Um, and then the second area is the level of uptick in schools around the country that are interested in bringing both critical thinking and media literacy in their schools. I think that is a major success that we've experienced because that uptick and the importance um, of, of um, educating our children, especially at the middle school level, um, that's something that I'd like to point to success. And as we alluded to in, in this discussion, it's a long-term measure but I think it's an absolute necessary measure. I think, I think, and I definitely want to agree with you on that. Uh, and I'd like to end this on this very positive note because I do believe, and I wanted to give you a little hard time to begin with. <laughs> because to me, you know, this, you know, talking about critical thinking, this is where critical thinking has to come to play. How we deal with this misinformation in a very serious critical thinking beyond, beyond, uh, what, what people just talk about, but here of course, you know, education matters, but policy obviously is going to be critically important. And nevertheless, all these here are some skeptical, I think self-monitoring to the extent that is, if there's enough pressure, and you alluded to that quite clearly actually, said it, there's got to be more pressure on these organizations, these from this company that engage in social media to begin to show some sort of monitoring, albeit I 100% agree with you, they have that is in many ways is contradict their, their it's not consistent with their um, profit making process with this, this is what they want uh, and so they have there's some inherent limitation self imposed limitation as to how far they're prepared to go but your work is certainly admirable and I would very very much to see hearing more about it and for you to succeed and uh, if you don't mind. Share, no, seriously, share with me some information. I'm, I'm uh, a very active in, in trying to get to the truth in, in every which way I can. Uh, and, and so what you are doing and saying is extremely refreshing. And I love that. And I want to wish you the best of luck. And I hope we can stay in touch. Thank you so much. And um, as you know, uh, we continue to publish. We continue to do studies that all is available online free at www.reboot-foundation.org. And we will continue to research, do research, fund research, and fight this fight. Uh, we're going to make use of it. I promise you that. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you so much. Take care. Uh, all of this. Thanks again for taking the time. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for listening to this episode on the issues. You can find this podcast on my SoundCloud page. And stay tuned to my social media accounts for the latest analysis and announcements.